My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I believe that it's imperative for you and for me to daily preach the gospel to ourselves. Now, I know it sounds kind of weird. Um, and if you, some of you younger kids get up on your, you know, your bed and you're like preaching or whatever, that's cool. As long as you're looking in a mirror. Um, what I mean by that is I think that it's so easy, dare I say natural, for followers of Jesus Christ to forget that the gospel message is as relevant to us every day as it is to a person who maybe is hearing it for the very first time. I think it's easy for us to actually forget the impact and the power of the message. Um, so here's my challenge for you. Wake up every morning and, uh, or afternoon, if you're uh, one of those people. Uh, when you wake up, just, just take a moment. Just take a moment to reflect on this. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to lose God's love. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Uh, You can't earn greater status with God. You can't, by the actions of that day, somehow get in more favor with God. Now, I think those actions in a day are good for us, and I do those, and they can be really healthy for our families and, and, and sharing the message. But, but, but really, between you and God, there is nothing you can do to impress God. There's nothing that you can do to have our Heavenly Father say, well, I feel this much better about you today. Um, the, the Bible says that the full final payment was made on the cross by Jesus Christ. And he said, it is finished. He sat down at the right hand of the Father, the Bible tells us, and he completed all the work. And yet, if we're not careful as followers of Jesus and, and as churches and church people, we can easily slip into a mode of uh, knowing that in our head, but in our heart, beginning to distance ourselves and thinking that we have to make up for something. We have to uh, work for something. We have to earn something. Um, you have already received the forgiveness of God. It is full and final. It is complete. Uh, but you and I are conditioned to works. You think about this. Uh, we live this out in every area of life. If you're in school, Praise God, I'm done with school. I told a group of young men I'm never going back to school again. Um, that's probably not true. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you're in school, uh, you know how it works. If you're uh, at, at the workplace, you know how it works. If you're at the gym, you know how it works. I mean, fill in the blanks, right? If, if you go to school and you put in the work, you get a good grade out of it. If you don't put in the work, you get a bad grade or you get, you know, 
thrown out, right? You are conditioned to a performance mentality at work, right? I mean, unless it's maybe a union job or a government job where you can just stand there with a shovel all day long, you know, your performance and your pay are somewhat correlated, right? You don't do a good job. You don't show up, right? You're in trouble. You do a great job. You can get a bonus. You can get a raise. You go to the gym. You work out as you can tell I do every morning for hours. Uh, <laughs> not. Um, you know that if you don't put the work into it, you don't get the muscles, right? Or you don't get the weight loss. We are conditioned to work for something. In fact, our very American culture, the, the great American dream says you can do this. You can earn this. And all you have to do is pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you can make it happen. If you, if you take that into your relationship with God, that great American dream becomes a Christian nightmare because all of a sudden we get wrapped up in this false belief that we have to somehow earn our way into the favor of God that we've already received, which doesn't make any logical sense. But somehow we are preconditioned to think, okay, I know Jesus died on the cross, but I have to do these things for God to be happy with me today. And that is a lie. That is a lie from the pit of your heart. And that is a lie from the pit of hell, because there's nothing that will keep us so trapped in our own false view of God than what we would call legalism. Legalism is a belief system that says it's Jesus plus now, if you were here the last couple of weeks, it's Jesus plus nothing. That's the message of Galatians. If you add anything to Jesus, if you require anything, if you say, well, you can come to Jesus, but you have to do these things, then you've reduced the message of Jesus to completely being something you work for. And that's not the free grace message of Jesus Christ. Now, um, I've been thinking about this. I've been reading through the Bible and I read through the Bible every year. And I, I just finished the book of Leviticus and, um, oh man. That's, that's an interesting, well, book of numbers I'm in and it's just numbers. So that's easy, but it is, it's, it's just a bunch of readings of names and numbers and things like that. But Leviticus, I get through and, and I've, I've done this, this is my 31st year and I've been to school and I've, I've got this stuff down and I've got commentaries, but I still sit there every year and go, now, why is there so much blood? Why did you have 613 rules? I can get the 10 commandments. Don't kill. You know, that's good for families. You know what I mean? For children. That's really practical. You don't steal, you know, they don't covet stuff, the adultery. That, that's all. I get all that, you know, but man, when you read the Leviticus and you read these endless list of rules and it's like, wow, how depressing it would have been to have been in a system where you had to do all of these perfectly, which, by the way, is the whole point. Uh, and re- later you read in the book of Hebrews, the New Testament Leviticus, that Christ finished it all. But you think about this. We do that even as followers of Christ. We receive this free grace through Jesus Christ. And then we get into a system of working for it. Um, and I, I love that old hymn. It's, it just, to me, it, it sums it up. Uh, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. Now I want to talk about that tension uh, today in our passage. We're in the book of Galatians. It's a, it's a really good book. A lot of it has just a narrative story, which is kind of funky for teaching books uh, like, like this. You won't find that in you know uh, Ephesians or whatever, uh, Philippians. But, but there's a lot of story in here. So kind of, you know, what do you get out of the story? We're going to see some really good things uh, tonight. But I want to talk about the tension that you and I have to add to the message of Jesus. Somehow, um, we never say we're doing that, but we end up 
We end up in a situation where we think that God is not happy with us, that God is not shining on us, that God is not smiling on us anymore, that we've lived our life in such a way that he's frowning upon us. And if we could just earn our way back into his good grace by doing these kinds of things, or if we do something and it works for us, we impose that on somebody else and say, this is, this is the way you do this Christian life. And all of a sudden we get caught in the trap of legalism. We try to impress God and we try to impress other people. Now, This may not be your story and I might be preaching to myself, but that's okay. Like I started, I said, I need to preach the gospel to myself. So please allow me to do so tonight. Okay. But I'm pretty sure this is universal and every one of us struggle with this. So in Galatians chapter two, uh, we're going to take a look at this. uh, The first 10 verses, page 890 in your chair Bible. While you're turning there, I'll kind of bring us up to speed. The apostle Paul is writing a letter to the churches of Galatia, a region in uh, an area of Turkey, Greece, just a whole region where he's planted these churches. And he's just gone and plant the church, share the message of Jesus with all these Gentile, non-Jewish believers. They've never heard of Moses or the laws or Mount Sinai, their 10 commandments or any of that stuff. They have heard of Jesus only And as they go in and they plant this, the churches are born, they explode. Paul leaves, plants more churches, and he writes letters back. That's kind of the typical thing that Paul does. And so he's writing this letter back because some Jewish believers or false believers, depending on the way you look at it, have come in, infiltrated the ranks and said, oh, I'm so glad you heard about Jesus. But Jesus was a Jew, and if you really are going to receive this message, you have to receive it from a Jewish perspective. In other words, you can go to Jesus, but you have to come through Moses first. You have to obey all the laws of Moses, and then you can fully have your Christian experience. But if you don't adopt all these laws, you are not experiencing all that Jesus has to offer you. Paul himself, he was, uh, the Bible says, you can read this in Philippians 3, it's a great story. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, I was... If if anybody was a Jew, it was me. If anybody was religious, it was me. I was the most righteous person. I was the best and the brightest. I had everything going for me. If anybody could have earned it, it was me. And then all of a sudden on a road one day uh, to persecute Christians, Jesus showed up, came face to face with the fact that all I had done was built a religion. And all I had done was to live a life that said, all of these things make me now so good that God will accept me. And when I looked at that, It was like a pile of garbage is how he phrases it in Philippians chapter three. I considered it all worthless and I threw it away. I I considered it so offensive that I just chucked it and I went to Jesus, the free grace of Jesus Christ. And, um, and, and so he's, he's pretty angry. Anybody times anybody tries to add to this. So, so here's the message. And, and this is just the narrative part. I'll just kind of walk through this. He says, then 14 years later, and if you've ever gone in the middle of a movie, that's exactly what you're going to feel like right now. Uh, but he's telling the story. Uh, then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem. He's telling the story of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. All of a sudden, the Jewish people not being so happy with that message. And now he needs to defend himself to the Jewish leaders, the leaders of the church, uh, Peter, James, John. He says, then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be the leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in a 
agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. Now, again, he's not just wasting ink on, on a paper here. He's writing for a reason. He's explaining to the Gentile believers in the Galatian area who are followers of Christ that you need to understand. I had all this Judaism and it didn't work for me. It didn't work at all. In fact, it was only a setup for Jesus. And now it's the complete final message in Jesus. It's already done. Let's not go back. Let's not trade the grace of God for works again. We don't need those things. And so he tells a story of going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the church, was the birth of the church, where the religious leaders, everybody was Jewish. They accepted this message, but there was this great tension in Jerusalem by the Pharisees and even the priests who were receiving the message of Jesus, but are so steeped in the laws and the sacrifices that they say, well, yeah, but you got to do both. And so it was a great tension. And, and next we're going to see even Peter struggled with this. Peter became a hypocrite. The, the great leader, Peter, he struggled back and forth. So it was a huge issue of this. And now, now this next verse, I just want you to read this. This is, this is like the crux of it all. Take a look at this. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. If you're ever looking for a life verse, pick that one. That's awesome. And you're like, okay, I like as the deer pants by streams of water, John three sixteen. Okay, now what's going on here? So Titus, he already said, was a Gentile. Titus was just born like you and me. I'm a Gentile. I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't born Jewish. I'm not in that, that, that race, but I'm a Gentile. Okay, well, Titus was a Gentile, and he receives Jesus. Titus was the true test. He was the litmus test of what are these religious leaders, these followers of Jesus, the leaders of the church, going to do? Now, it's one thing for a Jew... To say, okay, I'm going to be circumcised because that was the law. That was how it worked. That was part of the defining, you know, steps of what it meant to be Jewish. But Gentile, Gentile converts don't need this, right? And so he took Titus there as a test to see what would these leaders say. And they did not demand, which is a really important thing in the text and what's going on here. Okay, now what's the whole point of this? I'm going to jump to another text. It's Acts 15. Acts 15 talks about this council, talks about this struggle. Acts 15, Paul goes with Barnabas. And in the middle of all of this, they confront the church with this question. What are we going to do with the Gentiles? Let's look at Acts 15, verse 1. While Parna and Barnabas were in Antioch, Assyria, some men from Judea arrived. Judea is where Jerusalem is. And began to teach the believers, unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. That is as flat out black and white as it's ever going to get. Unless you do our thing, you cannot be saved. You cannot go right to Jesus. You must go to Moses first. Unless you do the things we do, you cannot be saved. Now, What's this about circumcision? Well, bottom line is it's part of the Jewish law. It was part of what set the people apart. The rules, the regulations, there's civil law, there's moral law, there's ceremonial law. It's all kinds of stuff in the Old Testament. But bottom line is God was setting himself up as a people, a race, a group of people, the Jewish people. And they were setting them apart so they would be different and distinct. In the hopes then that they would shine this light to the Gentiles, which, which isn't, isn't what happened because they struggled in the Old Testament. But here's the bottom line. If... The Jerusalem leaders in Acts 15 would have said, okay, yeah, they, all the Gentiles have to be circumcised. Church size, there wouldn't be a men's ministry, trust me. Um, you know, membership class would be interesting. Um, but what I'm saying is that it was a big question. Now, you may not think, you know, what's this deal? It was the defining moment of a Jew would never hang out with a Gentile because they're filthy, they're dogs. They're, they violated the commands of God. They're uh, 
they're, they're just filthy. And yet, if you want to become a Jew, you do these things. And for a male, the first thing is you be circumcised because that would set you apart permanently forever as a follower of God under the Jewish belief system. So it's this crux of the issue, which might not seem like a big issue for us, okay, but it's the crux of the issue. Now, the idea is that there's something we can do that will complete the work of God that maybe would impress some people or would somehow appease the other believers. Legalism is this. Anything that we add to the message of Jesus that somehow is defined by our group that is more spiritual than someone else. Now, nobody ever defines himself as a legalist um, unless you have more rules than I do. And then you're a legalist. Okay. All right. If I have less rules, I'm not. But you are a legalist because you have more rules. Legalism basically says that there are it's Jesus plus these things. Now, I want to I want to explain this. I want to share it with my story. I, again, I mean, no disrespect. I was saved in this church. I came to faith in Jesus Christ in a church down in California. And and here here's what was going on in that time period. So it was late seventies, early eighties. There were a lot of rules. It was a very, um, separated church. Looking back on it now, I would say it was very legalistic. I didn't see it that way, but I knew some things didn't make sense for me. And there were rules. Yeah. Everything is received Jesus this, but let's talk about how you dress because what you wear will determine whether you're godly or not. Uh, women cannot wear pants because men wear pants. Let's pray and we're done with our sermon. Okay, no. I'm like, what the heck? Uh, yeah, it's okay, all right. Okay, and um, I don't know what they do with Scottish men that wear kilts. I'm not sure how that works out. Um, but, but, but you had to look distinct. Hairstyles, hair length. Uh, as a man, you couldn't have long hair. As a woman, you couldn't have short hair. Okay. Um, I remember my Dean of Students, a uh, great friend of mine now at, at my college, uh, that was part of the college. It was part of the rules. You know, guys could not have hair that touched their collar right here. Okay. And, um, and he, he saw one guy once in, in the main uh, administration building and he went up and he said, Hey, your hair's kind of long, isn't it? And it's like, um, yeah. He goes, don't you think you should cut that? And he goes, okay. Come to find out he's the Pepsi delivery guy. <laughs> um, <clears throat> He felt pretty embarrassed. And that was part of his, his wake up. Um, I remember this movies. You couldn't go to entertainment, world entertainment. What's sensual? What's sexual? What is, uh, what you, you know, even an amusement park, what, you know, some churches go, you can't go to amusement park because that's worldly. Okay. Um, you Disney people over here. All right. Uh, how was the cruise by the way? Um, how could it not be awesome? Right. Okay. Um, in my college, we could not go to movies. And because we might see something that would be offensive, you know, Bambi or something. I don't know. Um, but, but six months later, when the movie came out on, on, on VHS, I'm telling you how old I am. You could go to the store. It wasn't even blockbuster. It was pre blockbuster and you could rent it and play it in your dorm room. And I said, excuse me, that doesn't make any sense. Well, but we don't want you at the theater because people might see you there and then think the worst of you. Like what? You're going to see a movie. Okay. Now I get, I get standards of right and wrong. I get standards of morality, understanding. But when some group comes around and says, would you just tell us what's right and wrong? As a resident assistant in the dorm RA, I remember a student came to me and said, Hey, you know, I'm struggling with, you know, Christian rock and roll and Amy Grant, all this stuff. And I, I don't know what to do. Can you just give me a list of stuff that's good for me to listen to? I'm like, Oh, excuse me. I would never give you a list of what's good for you to listen to. I personally have a style and I'd love for you to like my style because I think it's awesome. But you know what? I'm not going to say it's more righteous or godly, but he goes, but I want that so I can know what's good and what's bad. 
See, there is within us a tendency to define our Christianity, our spirituality, by these extra things. Okay, the epitome for me was after I had been in college a couple years, I came home and I interned and I worked with the youth. I worked and helped in children's ministry. And uh, the pastor, not the one I was saved under, but the pastor that replaced him, uh, called me into his office one day. True story. He said, uh, James, do you, do you love God? I go, yeah, I love God. Really glad you're helping here. But I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, I noticed when you were teaching the children in children's ministry, <clears throat> you weren't wearing a belt. And uh, I said, um, yeah, because why not? I, I don't know. I just didn't put a belt on. But does your, do, does your pants, do they have belt loops? Yeah. Don't you think you would be honoring God by looking good and wearing a belt? Now, I, 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 like, I didn't laugh. I sat there, stood there thinking, I have no idea what planet I just landed on. <laughs> but I landed on the planet of legalism. And I asked for clarification with utter respect. It's like, now, how is this? Well, God really cares about the way we dress because there's righteous dress and unrighteous dress. Just in case you're curious, I'm wearing a belt tonight so you can rest. <laughs> I have to because I have a pack for the wireless and I need a belt. Or I probably wouldn't be wearing one. Um, now, here's the question. Here's the question. What are you free to do and not free to do? And when a group of people comes up, and I'm not talking about sin or not sin. This is not about that. This is about in our freedoms. This is about in this or that. Areas that are disputable things. If you have somebody come up to you and say, that's not a righteous thing to do and you shouldn't do it. You should ask, where is the word? Where is the scripture on this? Show me what the Bible says about this. You know, is it an issue of modesty? Is it is an issue of maybe perhaps something with, with your mind. I mean, there's a lot the Bible talks about. Um, but you don't want to become legalistic about things. And I, I was saved in a legalistic church. Um, you know, if, if your standards are, are, are strict, great, that's great for you, no problem. If you say, I know I can't handle this, so I don't do that, that's wonderful, no problem. But to say that that standard that should be the standard for everybody because that's God's standard... That's like saying God loves country music and we know he doesn't. Okay. That is not his style of music. Okay. Now the bigger tension, the bigger tension is what we do as a church. So, um, I've had the privilege of going to Africa for 10 years to go to a lot of East African countries, one West African country. And, um, at first I was shocked. I'm no longer shocked. I'm saddened. Um, because what we did, and I say Western, so European and American Christians, missionaries went there and I go there now and I have to wear a suit and tie to preach. Like, I'm pretty sure your ancestors didn't wear suits and ties. It's like, well, this is God's approved outfit. I'm like, uh Oh, you know where they got that from Westerners. And then they sing a bunch of hymns. I'm like, I love them. I was raised on hymns, but why are you singing hymns? Why are you playing a piano? Why aren't you playing your instruments from your heritage and your culture? Why aren't you dressing like your culture? Why don't you see how Jesus wants to come in and invade your culture with beauty and truth and have it reflect that? Because we exported a culture thinking we were exporting Christ. Now, see, that's the danger of legalism is we get our culture, which is not necessarily a bad thing at all. And Christ confused and we wrap them together and we don't know how to really explain the gospel without saying, and here's what you're supposed to wear. All right. All right. The culture doesn't make it acceptable to God. Only Christ does that. Um, so what was going on was the culture of the Jewish people. 
They confused it and said, unless you're circumcised, you cannot be a follower of Christ. Anytime you take your culture, whatever that might be, and say, mine is more godly and you need to do this, you're, you're, it's legalistic. And you need to throw it out because you've ruined the message, the beautiful simplicity of Jesus. So on to the text. This is what it uh, goes on. And it, it's, it's more narrative. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers about Titus. These are so-called believers in Jerusalem. False ones, really. He says they're not even really believers who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and to take away our freedom. This is good. They, 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 they were put in there in a sneaky way to spy on us so they could take away the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. They wanted to enslave us and enforce us to follow their Jewish regulations. You get that? Paul says, I'm livid that people would have, they snuck in just to spy on us, just to, just to see what we would do so that they would entrap us because we were living in freedom. And how dare anybody live in freedom? Because we're not free and we have the rules and you have to have them too. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Now, by the way, this is a pretty, pretty, pretty amazing thing. If you think about it in Jerusalem, this is at this time, you've got Paul who's, who's there with the story, uh, cause he's the, the main, uh, main person in the story. You've got Peter, you've got James and you've got John, you've got Barnabas and Titus and stuff like that. But let's just look at Peter, James and John and Paul. If you take Peter, James and John and Paul, all you have left is Matthew. And all you have left is the writer of Hebrews, which we don't know who wrote Hebrews. And they wrote the whole stinking New Testament. That's like a powerhouse of theology, right? Mark was the disciple of Peter. So he got that. Luke was a disciple of Paul. So we got it from there. But the whole New Testament, all the theologians of the New Testament, everything we have as our scripture, our text is in this room. And they're arguing over a theological point. And this is pretty significant. You can see this in the book of Acts. They wanted to take away, though, these Jewish people wanted to take away the freedom. I mean, it makes sense. The Jews for centuries had had traditions and they had culture, customs, they had morality. And if you were now free from that, you might go and sin. And that is a tension that we live in. Uh, case in point, imagine uh, if the state of Oregon were to abolish all traffic laws, <clears throat> we'd, we'd be called California. Um, <clears throat> but if, if, if you abolished all the traffic laws and said they're optional, there would be a whole lot of people doing whatever they wanted, right? That would be dangerous. There would be some people that would, you know, keep doing things that were safe. So th- there's nothing wrong with laws. Laws have their place uh, as long as they're not burdensome to us. Because too much freedom actually can be damaging. And that's not a bad thing to understand. That's why we have our laws. But the question is, where is the law and where is the freedom and where's the tension in that? These Jewish so-called believers were saying, you do not have the freedom because we're bringing the law. Now, let's think about that personally now. In your own life, where, where is the tension between I have the freedom to go do this and there's a law of God that says maybe, maybe not. And how do you wrestle with that tension? Uh, some of you, it's the issue of drinking. Okay. And the Bible's really clear. I mean, it's just black and white clear. Don't get drunk. Okay. With wine, which any, anything. Okay. Don't get drunk with wine. Okay. Because in excess, because you should be controlled by the spirit. Okay. That's the law that God says, but where's the freedom in that? You know, for me, th- there's freedom. I, I don't really like alcohol. I have a glass of wine at night. It helps me go to sleep, you know, but I, that's not my tension. I, I don't live in that struggle. Other people do. And so their law has to be bigger than their freedom because they can't. 
They just can't have a glass of wine at night. And, and they have to understand that. And other people have to respect that. But then if they take that law that that's helping them and impose it on other people, that's when you have legalism. Okay. Now I'm a dad. Okay. My wife and I have three boys. We have to walk through this stuff. We have to talk about this stuff. How do we have these freedoms? Now there's, there's rules, there's laws. Okay. And so there you go. You can't drink. It's, you know, it's not their attention, but, but you think about this. What about, I mean, what about our good old recreational drug of choice now, marijuana? Okay. It's free in our culture. It's not free. We're not handing it out after service, but I mean, (laughs) you're free to do this now, right? The law says you don't have to do that, but where does the freedom that you would have now in the law say, but I have to impose this law because I can't get high because if I get high, it would be the equivalent of what the scripture says about getting drunk. So I can't, I can't. And I, and I, I would, I, I've never had it, so I don't know. I've smelled it a lot. I've been in places, you know. I've, I've, I've been to those concerts, okay, all right, which you are almost when, by the time you walk out. But it's like, okay, but you're in this situation where it's like, what, what, what's my line? That's something for you to wrestle with, my friends. That's for, I'm not talking about sinning. I'm not talking about blatantly violating the rules. But where is the tension that you and I walk in between I have freedom, but the law is good for me. But not if it's burdensome, then it kills me and doesn't give me any freedom. Um, don't, don't think you're more righteous because of your rules. Um, you just have rules, and, and we all have them, and we should have them internally. We have some, some boundaries, some stoppages. It's great. Um, the text goes on, and we're just going to uh, wrap up with this here. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, the reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God is no favorites. I love that. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle of the Gentiles also worked through me as an apostle uh, to the Jews, me, I, I told you I'm, I'm kind of sick. I'm not firing all cylinders, by the way, so that's why I'm sitting here. Or for the you younger people, I'm like a, a whole Pokemon deck short of a Pikachu or something. I don't really know. Um, and so, Apostle Gentiles. And then let's wrap it up with this last one here, the last text. You go ahead. In fact, Peter, James, John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. It's very important. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion, I love this, was that we should keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. I love that. I love that. I think, I think there's actually something there, uh, this little addition here. Um, their only suggestion is we keep on helping the poor. Uh, some have said, well, because the Gentiles had more money and the Jews were, were in poverty at this time. And we know that Paul was taking gifts back from the Gentiles to Jews. But I, I would like to think it's this. And I, I can't say 100%, but I know this experientially. Um, when you live under rules, you're not very generous. When you live in freedom, you're very generous. When you live trying to attain to a level of righteousness, you just don't have a lot to give away. But when you live in freedom and joy, you can give everything away because it's not yours anyway. And if you and I live in such a way as we're not bound to a legalistic set of laws, then we are free to serve and we are free to give. The happiest people I know are those that serve. Um, I I saw this Ann Voskamp uh, slide. Uh, I was thinking we could put it up one of these days. And it says, if you're waiting on God, do what waiters do. Serve people. (laughs) It's like, I like that. Serve people. Because when you serve people and when you give away, that shows your freedom. 
Now, for you and for me, as we think about this, Heather's really excited about that because it's the uh, offering for Mercy Weekend. Um, But I want to share this practically speaking. Um, I want to share with you my struggle with legalism. Okay, so I struggle with it personally, not just because that where I was saved, but as a person, I want to share this. Um, my personality style, it, those that know me well know this. I'm a reformer. I want to fix things. I want to perfect things. I want to make things better. Um, I'm always trying to, you know, make things better. Now it stems and I understand this. I've been to counseling, uh, for my inner compulsion to be perfect. Okay. Now don't know. Don't get me wrong. I know I'm not perfect. I never will be, but you got to tell my inner being that because it's always trying to be perfect. Okay. Um, I take my job as your pastor, as a husband, as, as, a, as a dad, very seriously. And I constantly have a to-do list of growth and change. Um, part of this is driven by my relentless inner critic. I cannot allow myself to do anything well. No matter how well it is, I condemn myself internally. Now, some of you understand exactly what I'm talking about because you're always hard on yourself. I grew up really hard on myself, but that is part of my makeup. It's part of my birth. It's a part of who I am. I have to learn not to listen to that, to discern between the voice of God, the voice of the enemy, or my own just struggle with self-acceptance. Okay. So here you combine all this together. I have this harshness on myself and some of you are saying, man, that pastor is messed up and I am, but you are too. You're just messed up in a different way. So we are all broken people. My friends, we are all broken. Okay. Um, so my constant struggle is to believe that I'm good enough or worthy enough to lead this church or to lead my family. Now, I know on paper it makes sense, but internally I have this constant inner critic. Somebody said to me once, um, boy, you must feel pretty proud when you walk off the platform for preaching. I'm like, you have no idea who I am. You have no idea what's going on. I can never do a good job because I never allow myself to think I did a good job. Even when I think I, you know, am critical of myself, I felt like that was good criticism. And now I'm even hit critical of my criticism. You know what I mean? Now I don't do that to others, you know, as much. Because it, it's me that I'm critical of. Um, now, so I've had to learn to not live in legalism because I am prone to legalism. I am prone to setting up rules that at least would, if I cross the line, I feel good about myself. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's not like a self-righteous feel good about myself. Keith Green ministered to me years ago. He's long past. But um, this song... I lived in this song for ages as a, as a young 20 something man, I lived in this and this helped me. I want to read part of the lyrics of this. Uh, when I hear the praises start, it really touched me. My son, my son, why are you striving? You can't add one thing to what's been done for you. I did it all while I was dying. Rest in your faith. My peace will come to you for when I hear the praises start, I want to rain upon you blessings that will fill your heart. I see no stain upon you because you are my child. You know me. To me, you're only holy. Nothing that you've done remains, only what you do for me. I had, to, I had to begin believing the truth of what God said about me, even when I didn't. And I had to believe what the scripture said, that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That there was nothing I could do to make him love me more, because he loved me to the full. Now, you have to say that for years before you start to feel it. But man, it will transform your life when you get off the legalistic treadmill. Some of you are prone to it. Maybe you're prone to it because you're self-critical like I am. Maybe you're prone to it because you're proud. 
And if you're prone because you're proud of this, you're condemning other people. So maybe you condemn yourself like I do. And that tends toward legalism for me. Um, and I have to speak the truth or, or you're proud and you are prone to legalism for others. Here, here's, here's what I want to say as, as I draw to a close. All of us have to repent of our sinfulness. But some of us have to repent of our righteousness. And that's me. I can easily take my righteousness and start to rest in it. And I have to repent of that. Because that's sinfulness. Now, my son Seth isn't here, so he's not going to draw that on a flowchart for me this, tonight. But if you know him, he's logical because that won't make sense. Some of you here need to repent of your sinfulness. That's just flat out truth. But some of you need to repent of your righteousness because you think your righteousness earns you more favor with God. It doesn't. We live up to who we are in faith in Christ. Remember the truth. God accepted you through Jesus Christ plus nothing. I love this verse. I'm going to close with this. Titus 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done. But because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our savior, because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This was my verse for years. Notice this because of his mercy, his kindness, his love, his grace. None of that is anything we work for or earn. It is all something we receive. And once we receive it, we cannot then go to somebody else and superimpose our own values, our own standards, our own extra rules and requirements. One of the biggest struggles, church people, followers of Jesus face, is that we want to add to the message of grace. We want to add to what Jesus has done. We want to somehow perfect it to drive those nails in deeper, to just make sure that it fully applied and fully worked. Could it be possible that you're a struggler like me? Could it be that you would think in your heart, okay, when I finally, you fill in the blank, when I finally uh, fix my marriage, then God will be happy with me. When I finally fix my finances, then God will be happy with me. When I finally lose weight, God will be happy with me. When I finally earn that degree, God will be happy with me. Maybe what we've done is we've taken our relentless desire to get approval by our parents or somebody else in authority over us or our friends. And we've just imagined that's who God is. God is finally done. It's finished on the cross. Some of you, when I finally read the Bible through like James does every year, then he'll love me. No, I'll just love you anyway. Okay. Don't, don't, don't have a finally. When I finally get to this point, that will wear you out, my friends. And that will exhaust you. And there you will not find any satisfaction in that because he just loves you. He loves you as you are hurting and broken. When you come to him and when you give yourself to him, when you confess your sin to him, he will cleanse you. He will give you the, all of the righteousness of Christ. You are now holy and blameless in his sight. And there is nothing you can do that will cause him to love you less. There is nothing you could do to cause him to love you more. He's just madly in love with you. Why would we take that and change the message and create it about rules and impose it on others? God forbid that we would take this message of grace and make it a Jesus plus something. Some of you need to confess your badness tonight. And some of you need to confess your goodness tonight. And I fall into that second group. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, the love of Jesus. Your love that's poured out on us. That is so full and complete. That we can't earn it. We can't work for it. We certainly don't deserve it. But we can bask in the glow of it as we receive it. Uh, free and fully completed. Um, God, for some of us, we need to repent of our sinfulness. That's just fact. We just need to repent of our sinfulness. Maybe for the first time to be saved, as Titus wrote here in this passage, uh, he's that guy that wasn't circumcised. He's that guy that knows what it's like to receive grace, to say it is done, it is mercy, it is grace, it is kindness, it is love. We need to receive that, and you've done it all. Uh, Some of us need to repent and confess our righteous acts that we somehow have done to feel good about ourselves and feel better than others. Lord, that's hypocrisy. That's the self-righteousness you don't want in us. Move in our hearts to love you. Just pure and simple as you love us in your name. Amen.